As Greg said, I'm Michael, and I'm a part of the Alex Park Missional Community. Um, and I like history. Um, I like most of it, even though it's pretty horrible. Um, in particular, you've got a fortunate member of society throughout history that are known as kings. Um, even kings seem to have had a really hard time with lives surrounded by death. Um, one in particular, we have William I, known as William the Conqueror, or William of Normandy, and he goes by other names he didn't like as much. Um, William, he believed that he was the king, the rightful king of England. He believed that the throne was his. Now, I don't think that that's that hard to believe, that you're the king of something, that you should reign over something. However, the hard thing is getting the people that you want to reign over to believe that you are the king. And he thought that if the previous king offered him the throne, that would be enough to have England say, right, William, you're the king. Uh, but no, that, that didn't work. He thought if he had the support of the Pope, that that would have England believe he was the rightful king. But that wasn't enough. He thought that if he brought the largest army to the shores of England since the Roman occupation, then that would be enough to have England believe he was the rightful king, but no. He thought maybe if he got the support of the strongest claimants to the throne, no. He thought maybe if he killed that strongest claimant to the throne in one of the most famous battles in history called the Battle of Hastings, but no. He still had to get the submission of London to be crowned. William needed to do something huge to convince the country that he was king and believe that he was the rightful king. The north of England, as you can imagine, wasn't having any of it. Um, and the massive thing that he had to do was he, it was called the harrying of the north and he burned everything from York to Durham. Uh, he burned herds and crops and uh, tools and food, which meant 100,000 people starved. You bring death to build your kingdom you're always going to have to bring death. And after that, William, he still had to build castles all over the country. As we look at the passage that we've just read, uh, we're going to look at the alternative, where William gives death to build his kingdom, Jesus gives life to build his. And some of the ideas we're going to be thinking through is uh, where we have so little control of our life, and our belief. And how can we be expected to believe without these miracles uh, knocking around that we've just read about? We have no control over the belief of others, and yet we want to build church our way. And this passage is going to give us three ways in which Jesus is building his church. And the first way is Jesus gives life. In verse 33, we find a man called Aeneas who is paralysed and has been paralysed for eight years. He's bedridden and helpless. He has no control over his body. He has no control over his movement, no control over his health. He cannot make his body better, otherwise he wouldn't have been in that bed for eight years. He needs intervention if he is going to really live his life. I know some of you might feel paralysed right now. Some, if you've had the virus, might have actually been bedridden for seven days and felt like you had zero control over your body. 
Well, fortunately for Aeneas, who was in that state permanently, in verse 34, Peter comes along and says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And Peter is so confident in Jesus' life-giving power that in the same sentence that Peter informs Aeneas of his healing, he tells Aeneas to do something active that would show him and everyone that he is in fact healed. And Peter says, get up and roll up your mat. And he does. Luke writes that in the same verse 34, that immediately Aeneas got up. Jesus gives life. Aeneas would have been the first to admit that although he was alive and breathing, his life was hugely stunted. With this healing, he was functionally able to thrive and he was given life. Although Peter is the one who tells Aeneas that he's healed, he makes it so apparent that it is Jesus doing the healing. It's not to be mistaken as Peter's life-giving power. As his words were, Jesus Christ heals you. Not only does Aeneas have no control over his own mortality, but Peter has no control over it. Despite Peter's weakness, Jesus uses him to show his strength. And the beautiful thing here is that Jesus is using his power, sorry, he's using his people, his church, to demonstrate his life-giving power. And further down the line, we meet someone called Tabitha. In verse, in verse 37, we are told that she became sick and died. She was posthumously respected with the Jewish custom of washing and preparation for burial. She was totally dead. And yet, those around her sent for Peter to help. On their own, they had no control over Tabitha's life but they knew that Jesus was using Peter to show his life-giving power. And so in verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And this woman who was physically dead was raised to life. Jesus gives life. This is like being given a really nice car with a beautiful steering wheel that you're never actually going to use because the car comes with a chauffeur. But the chauffeur just drives where they want to. You have no control over where you go. And then you find out that the, the chauffeur is just pretending because the car is a remote control car that is driven along by the car company that gave it to you. It is your, control, it is your car, but you have no control over it. We can't give ourselves life. We can't give it to others. Jesus gives life. So where do we feel paralyzed and lifeless right now? We're locked down, immobile, and we're living with a fraction of the control we had over our social lives, work lives, and health. Some of us are living for that one bit of allocated exercise we get in the day, Others, just to see actual human beings that aren't on a screen. Knowing that Jesus can give life should change our perspective of this paralysis. We should be approaching God to remove it from us. Let's be asking Jesus to end this. 
in our missional community, we're certainly praying for all sorts of things around this pandemic, but we can start praying bigger. Jesus wants us to call on him with the big stuff. Let's ask him for vaccinations that I've heard some say will take two years uh, to be distributed. Let's ask him to sustain our key workers. He does not want us to be in this mess. Let's ask him to take us out of it. Let's ask that he give life. But this passage is alluding to a life greater than the physical. The pattern is that when Jesus gives people physical life, it's always paired with people being raised up from a spiritual death into a spiritual life. And this life comes through belief. So the second thing that's being said is Jesus gives belief. In verse 35, it reads, All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. A bit of hyperbole here is meant to say loads of people in the surrounding area saw Jesus' life-giving power and they responded by seeing Jesus as Lord. Wouldn't you? If you saw someone bedridden for eight years, healed by Jesus, they believed in him. And as, as we've seen all over the book of Acts so far, many were added to their number. But now the church is no longer isolated in Jerusalem. So Jesus is giving belief to people irrespective of geography because word is traveling fast and far. He is building his church. And it's just ironic that it's through the restoration of Aeneas, someone so stuck in one spot that there is a huge belief in a whole geographical area. And as a result of Jesus giving that belief, word travels to Joppa, where Tabitha has gotten sick and died. And just as Jesus gives belief through Aeneas healing, we see in verse 42, Tabitha's revival doing the same thing in Joppa. This became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Jesus gives belief in Joppa. We've got remarkable miracles leading to people genuinely turning to Jesus as Jesus believe, uh, builds his church. Now, I've got a little, little illustration for you. Um, this is the bit I'm afraid of. Right. Um, if you want to have a look, I don't know if I can do it from my screen, but I'm going to start the video of that Michael 2 camera. Hey, here we are. And I'm going to use the same microphone. Um, ah, did you do that? Thank you. Yeah, right, okay. Let's flip the screen. Um, how do we flip the screen? There we go. Okay. <laughs> right, okay, so we've got like this mad experiment here. Um, this is a classic bicarb with vinegar, but mixed with a marble run. Um, the idea is that uh, the bicarbonate soda that I'm adding to this table is to represent um, as it kind of effervesces. It's to represent the amazing things that Jesus is doing. Um, and the vinegar is going to kind of create the little explosion is uh, kind of uh, Jesus making that happen. So we've got the we've got this uh, little bicarb and vinegar situation up here, and that is going to make 
which unfortunately has happened, I knew this was going to fail. And it's trying to move this marble without it all going off. Great. Uh, which is going to hopefully... Oh, there we go. It's failed already. Right, I'm going to explain what's going to happen, and then hopefully uh, you're going to have a little bit of grace with me um, as it happens. Okay, so we've got uh, the marbles, which is kind of going to run down this track, and that is to represent uh, people believing. So amazing things that are happening. Uh, marble runs down here, marble runs down here, and then more explosions, amazing things happening there, and then more marbles running. Right, I'm going to try and set this up. I'll be as quick as I can. Um, so that it looks a little bit better. Okay. Right, one sec. Marble run. Da, 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 da. I'll be with you in a second. Okay. Right, please make this work. Here we go. Okay. Right, here's the vinegar. You'll see that, yeah. Yep. Pouring in here. Little explosion. The marble's not moving. I'm going to give it a little push. Marble doesn't move that one. That marble's to go down there. And a little explosion here. And then more marbles go off. Okay, that was disastrous. I'm not going to lie. The two times that I actually tested this, um, it failed both of those times. Right, Greg, are you able to switch my camera back to that one? Yeah. There we go. Thank you very much. Okay, so... I'm sure Mike Lehan was squirming there as he saw me doing that right next to my laptop. Uh, but don't worry, it was safe. Um, okay, so there we had it. Uh, that was Jesus doing amazing things, leading to belief, leading to Jesus doing more amazing things, leading to more belief. It was explosive. And in your head, it was amazing. In reality, <laughs> not as much. Okay. Um, this is the little bit where you're going to feed back to me now. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and I, I'm going to open it up to some discussion. Um, if you're a believer listening to this, have a think now about how Jesus gave you belief. And there'll be all sorts of different stories among us. Um, I'm going to ask you, um, what great things does Redeemer do that might tempt us to think that it isn't Jesus working through those things? Uh, where we as a church might think that it's us uh, rather than Jesus so what great things is Redeemer doing? It could be right now during this lockdown or when things are normal. Uh, where do we falsely think that our great works give belief? And in fact, you could talk about it not just as a church, but as an individual, if you want to be honest with us. Um, so if I can, do you know how to unmute everyone, Greg? Yep. Cheers. Well, no, actually, everyone's unmuted. If you want to speak, you can just so, unmute yourself. Anyone have any ideas? Where, why, where might we falsely believe our great work? I suppose the, the, what, the desire, especially at the moment, to want to do community and to do it well, to serve people, we can, we can often try and do that out of our own strength. I know like we're like stuck at home. We can't even go out for exercise. And it's really hard. I'm like, I want to help people, but I can't. And I feel like I want to help people probably out of my own strength because I want to be doing it for me rather than like for Jesus, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. So that sort of helping one another. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Thank you very much. Mm. Um, what about anyone else as an individual or as a church? Individually, I think, um, I 
sometimes we'll make it through a day where it's been really good with homeschool with Colin and it's just been a great day. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, like I'm awesome at this. This is great. But it's not me because really if I didn't have, um, my faith and, and if I didn't start my day with, um, with reading and praying, then, then it would be me on my own power and it would not be great. And it would be a lot of crying and probably yelling. And, (laughs) um, but we have had a really nice time. And the only thing I can think of that is because I pray constantly for gentleness and patience with Colin. And it's because of God's power in me, not because of me on my own, because I am not a patient and not a gentle person naturally. Um, and so it's, it's definitely God's power. And I can see that every day that we've been enjoying our family homeschool time. Thanks, Christina. Anyone else? Oh, Kathleen, let me unmute you real quick. My day's a disaster. <laughs> so, you know, and I'm quite busy at the moment because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm on the front line. So, so I have to make a special effort to commit my life into Christ first thing in the morning. If I don't do that, it all goes wrong. So, you know, uh, as it did yesterday and the day before. So this morning, I'm hoping it's going to go better because I've <laughs> had time to sit and, and, um, and pray and just, you know, almost repent of my um, of lack of, uh, of, you know, following Christ yesterday and the day before. So because um, by the end of the day, everything's a mess and you just think, oh. but today I feel completely different. You know, there's other factors like tiredness and you know, uh, anxieties and stuff. But, um, yeah, it, it, I can just testify that it really works. It doesn't, you know, if you just come to him every morning and mm. give me your life and believe that he will change you and will make you um, quiet and gentle, he does. <laughs> Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my experience. Mm. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, he, he is, he's given... He's going to use these things. Going to use these things to give people belief, um, and it is fully one hundred percent his life-giving power that will do that. Um, the next question goes for those of us that don't believe, but also believers that are holding back from committing fully because of whatever doubts. The question is, how can I be expected to believe when I don't see these miracles knocking around today? Everyone has asked God for something supernatural that hasn't come to pass. It's a totally logical response to question. If we look at the people that believed in this passage, you had a few of them that believed before Jesus' demonstration of his power. But afterwards, after people saw this, this ex- these explosions of vinegar and bicarb, um, so many more believed so continue to ask God for things, but without that, look at his people. Look at how his power has, has been demonstrated in his people. As we've just heard from, from three people in Redeemer now, while we are still far from perfect, I look at certainly people when I was back, when I, back when I was 18 and I first uh, came to belief, uh, the people that Jesus used to give me belief, I think, wow, the love in them is so great. I've not seen it elsewhere. Hmm. And that sees us come to our last point. Jesus gives love. 
We see it in at least two ways. Uh, Jesus' love for an individual at the expense of a group, and then Jesus' love at the expense of a group uh, for an individual. In verse 32, we find the most important person in the first days of the church, the one who was called the rock before Dwayne Johnson was called the rock. And he is traveling around the country, visiting the Lord's people. Peter's agenda was loving the church. But he set aside his own agenda to ensure he was loving one person. Whatever his itinerary was for his tour of the church, he put it in hold to love one. In verse 38, Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. And in verse 39, Peter went with them. Whatever church elder business Peter was was up to, whether it was training preachers in preaching, in evangelists in evangelizing, deacons in serving, he put that on hold to love one person in another city. Jesus gives love and he'll change our plans to do so. An example of this, our very own Justin Timberlake took time out of a tour in 2018. Oh, I saw that look from Christina then. <laughs> Um, took a tour, uh, time out of a tour in 2018 to go and visit an injured survivor from a school shooting. This is something that could potentially inconvenience a fair few people, I mean himself, but also tour managers and promoters, etc., in order to love one person that needed it. Or in the Christian world, it'd be someone like John Piper missing his weekly broadcast to tens of thousands of people around the world just to fly in and pray with someone from our church. Probably the biggest way in which we see Jesus give love in this passage is through Tabitha. Jesus loves the church at the expense of one person. The writer really wants us to know how great Tabitha is at loving people. One, in verse 36, Luke tells us that she was always doing good and helping the poor. Verse 39 has evidence of all her good charity with the essentials for people that can't provide for themselves. Two, the mourning people, mourning with an M-O-U. Luke particularly mentions widows are crying over her death. Three, he doesn't call Tabitha just a, a disciple or a believer or a woman. He actually names her and he doesn't just name her. He translates that name Uh, for the Greek-speaking readers, into Dorcas, which is Greek for gazelle, which is a metaphor for beloved. Her actual name means that she is loved. When Jesus revives her and returns her to a community, he is reinstalling an essential part of that community, a part that fills this place with his love. Jesus gives her life not only for all the belief that comes through it, but also because he's not done giving love to people through her and at her expense. Jesus gives love and he'll do it his way to build his church. Hmm. So how is Jesus to use us to uh, love that one person? 
when we're gathered together on a Sunday or at missional community in the week and there's someone new, how likely are you to introduce yourself and make them feel welcome? Some people like to be left alone, but we should assume that they don't want to feel like they don't belong. Sometimes the hardest individuals to welcome are those that aren't alone. They come in twos or groups. A couple walk into a social situation where they don't know anyone but each other. And they're likely to cling to each other out of security. But really, they're still in a bubble with nobody from Redeemer helping them feel like they belong. They don't look like they're in need. They've got someone. Don't be fooled. We want everyone to know they have a home here. Two excuses that come to mind. Uh, both come out of doing good things. One that I have way too much being a part of is you're busy doing church stuff. As someone that has done music at church for most of the existence of Redeemer, I've always been busy. I, and I'm sure a few others, need to remember that in whatever way you're serving on a Sunday or at missional community, there is no greater way of serving than loving people that don't feel like they belong. Set aside your mission, set aside the mission of Redeemer and do as Jesus would have you do. Give it all up in that moment to love that one person. And this is hard for me to say because I'm legalistic. I want to feel productive. I want to feel like I'm working hard, doing little projects, getting things right. But Jesus gives love and he'll do it through you. Prioritising it over your important stuff. The other excuse that comes to mind, we may avoid going out of our way to love that one person is we're catching up with friends, people we're familiar with need loving too. We're growing the community of our missional community. Yeah, these are all good reasons. But if everyone in the church does that at every given moment, then people that potentially need life need belief, walk out of that door and don't come back to Redeemer because they don't feel loved. I hope we'd gain an understanding with each other that we'd be able to just say to our friend, sorry, that person's on their own. I'll, I'll catch up with you later. Without us feeling like we've been ditched. Now, when we see Tabitha returned alive to her community, we see a, a community so glad to have their beloved back. Are we that for Chilton? Hmm. Let me ask you again, how are we that for Chilton? And if you're listening to this, please don't think that it's us as Redeemer patting ourselves on the back because we, th we think we're so great. We just genuinely love this area and love, and we want to love the people here. So, let me let Greg unmute everyone again, and um, I'm going to ask you, how do we love Cholton now, and how can we love Cholton better? Well, I think just by, I mean, some of the practical things that we, that God's allowed us to be a part of, like helping out if we touch the community when we can, um, and and, you know, in the ways that we have food collection on Sundays when we were meeting in person and also the carols for a cause and all, you know, the ways we've sung out in front of quality save and things like that to raise money. So we've been able to support our community in that way. Um, which, which is God's given us a good relationship with reach out to the community. So we, you know, 
try to help out with that where we can is one that's one way I think mm. um, where can we do that better I don't know being more involved with them with maybe helping them on a more regular basis providing um, I don't know how we could do that better but I know it's there there's something there um, and it'd be great to have eyes that are open to see what God wants us to do with that further I think I have heard that uh, of a few stories of people in their jobs that are um, just kind of doing what, what might have normally been everyday normal things um, now feel like extraordinary things. So just um, people who might, you know, you have a small business or, or if you're working with people in the hospital or something like that, the um, just hearing of the actual personal interaction, there's a, the Pastoral care is just higher, even just a normal kind of hello, how are you doing, and, and facial recognition of someone in real life. So that that's actually where um, being a minister, the areas where I've seen, I, I've been most encouraged about how you all are, are doing that. There's a level of normal everyday life for us being empowered by the spirit is something completely different. And it's been cool to kind of see that work in very seemingly ordinary ways, but we know behind the scenes, very kind of supernatural ways. Mm. Well, whatever it is, um, I'll be finished. It would end. Would Chilton mourners, like they mourned Tabitha, the beloved? If not, then I suggest we as a church remind ourselves again and again that we don't give life. Jesus gives life. And he uses his life-giving power through his people to build his church. Unlike William the Conqueror building his kingdom, Jesus started building his church, not with loads of death that just went on and on for him to keep his church, but just one death, his own. Jesus died in the place of all who were spiritually dead. And as we celebrated a week ago at Easter, he turned that death into life and he was raised for those who believe we were raised with him, he gave us life. If you're listening now and, and you, you want that life, just pray now. Pray, Lord, give me belief like you have given so many through your amazing power. Mm -hmm. Let me pray as we finish.